If you got your Bibles, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2, is where we are going to be uh, walking through the Word this morning, uh, continuing our series on the characters of Christmas. And so far, we have seen the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph, the, the young man that God chose uh, to be the adoptive father of the Messiah. Uh, we have uh, also looked at Mary, the young lady that God chose uh, to be the mother of the Messiah. And last week we looked at the innkeeper and the challenge before us was this challenge of uh, the throne room of our heart that we've made room that Christ is living and, and reigning on the throne of our hearts. And today uh, we are going to be looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of a wicked ruler named Herod. Um, like you, maybe you got the Christmas decorations up, maybe you have a nativity set, and, and, uh, and we have a nativity set that we've had for years, our kids love, they kind of grew up playing with it, and you got the Mary and the Joseph, and, and the baby Jesus, and, and the shepherds, and the wise men, and an angel, and, and our little nativity, you know, they're all there with their smiles and everything, and everybody's happy. And as we think about the nativity and what that scene might have looked like, no doubt smiles, uh, but, but sometimes we can maybe lose sight or, or, or even kind of forget the, the type of world that Christ entered into, that Christ literally was born into a spiritual war, a spiritual war zone. Uh, the war has raged ever since the garden in Genesis chapter 3. We see uh, the wrestle and the spiritual war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And all through the ages, we see it and sense it now in the 21st century. And no doubt that that war was present and real at the time of the birth of Christ. We know Christ came in the fullness of time. I love how... Paul writes that in Galatians chapter 4, how Christ in the fullness of time came, uh, born to a virgin under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And so when Christ came, He came, he came at a specific time in history. And in that cultural time of cultural war, there was a, there was a, there was a, a wicked ruler named Herod. Now I, I'll admit, sometimes I would say maybe all the times, it's hard for us to maybe kind of like understand what it might have been like or must have been like in the first century. I mean, we live in the 21st century. Uh, this is the world we know. This is the world we're familiar with. And, but, but, but like the first century, we, we have been acquainted with probably those we would call wicked rulers in, in our lifetime. I was thinking about even my lifetime. Growing up, going to school, we open up our history books and we read about wicked rulers like, like Adolf Hitler. And we see this, this wickedness and evil that through his leadership, that there were six million Jews that were massacred during his leadership. For those who are age 78 and above, like you lived when he was in rule and in power. I remember growing up and there was this uh, Saddam Hussein was kind of that, 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 that dictator that, that I recall even kind of growing up and, and seeing how he tortured and tormented his own people and and ultimately how justice came. And, and, and yet I, I think about this wicked ruler. Those are kind of the, the, the people that, 
that I think about. Uh, uh, Chris, who's in my D group, uh, he's uh, one of our brave Marines, and he was actually, I don't know if you remember, April of 03, uh, when the statue of, of Saddam Hussein came down in Baghdad, he, he was there. He was physically there when that, that moment happened. And my mind kind of, that's my experience as I think about this. But all of us, we have these experiences and, and we've seen the, the, the wickedness and evil that can happen in, in, in those who rule and in government. And we are familiar with things like corruption and ungodliness and depravity. An evil policy that, that's, that's enacted that we know grieves the heart of God. Like We see all of that play out in our life that we see around us. And here we are going to see Christmas through the eyes of a wicked ruler named Herod. And so let's look in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says this. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because we are seeing this Christmas story through Herod's eyes. Just a, a little bit of, of understanding about who, who this man was. He was known as Herod the Great. He was a powerful ruler. He was a, a powerful builder. He was appointed to be the governor of Judea by Caesar Augustus at the time who was the emperor of Rome. Uh, he built uh, incredible structures. He built theaters. He built palaces. He built hippodromes. He built uh, a fortress. If, if you were able to, to go to, to, uh, to a place called Masada, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fortress that's built on a plateaued mountain like 1,300 feet above land. And it's like the Dead Sea area is just this, like, just this flat land. It's the lowest place on earth. And then out up from the ground, 1,300 foot, there's this gigantic mountain. And on top of that is a plateau. And he literally built a fortress there that today you can go and you can stand on top of. He built this over 2,000 years ago. It's just, it's incredible. Uh, he built, Herod built the, the second temple. Solomon built the first temple there in Jerusalem and, and, and the Babylonians destroyed it. But yet in Herod's day, no doubt for political purposes and political gain, he led the charge in building what was the second temple, which by the way, you go to Jerusalem today, the, the walls are still there. It's this, this 36 acre complex. If you've ever seen the Jews praying at the Wailing Wall, those wall stones are those stones that Herod built. And this, and this structure that still stands today, he was an incredible, incredible builder. But he was also a very, very wicked ruler. He was jealous, suspicious, cruel, paranoid, merciless, insecure, fearful. And he was the kind of guy, like you get the hunch that he just always slept with one eye open. That he had his wife Miriam. He had her, her brother who was, a, who was a high priest at the time. He had him drowned. And then he, he had this elaborate funeral where he pretended to weep as it was happening. Not only that, he then had his wife murdered. And then he had his mother-in-law, Alexandria, murdered. And then he murdered two of his own sons. And five days before his own death, he had a third son executed. 
He knew as he was approaching his death that there would be no mourning in Jerusalem. And so he actually had some of the elite Jerusalem residents detained. And at the moment that he passed, he ordered that they would be executed so that there would be mourning and weeping in the land when he passed away. As we'll see today and we'll be reminded, he carried out uh, just a, a, a wicked, evil massacre on all children in the region ages two years and younger. Herod was a wicked, wicked ruler and he was the governor in charge when Christ was born. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was ruling. These wise men, Parthian men from the east have come. And they've come. And they, why have they come? They've come to see the king. they come to see the king of the Jews and they've come to worship him. I mean, you can almost feel Herod's skin crawling just getting word that these men have come. And, and, and because of the Christmas songs and We Three Kings and There's Three Gifts, and oftentimes we just have this image of these three wise men who came, but the reality is, is there could have been more than three. We don't know. Matter of fact, when they came, they would likely have had an entourage, servants with them. And so when we talk about wise men coming from the east, we're talking about like a, a, a caravan of people that are coming into town, very well to do. And, and, and again, with their, with their entourage with them coming, bringing gifts to worship the king, that had been born. So as you can imagine, Herod is taking all of this in, and the Bible says that he was troubled that they came. He was troubled because that word can also mean disturbed. It can mean terrified. It can mean stirred up. It can mean perplexed. And the Bible says not only was Herod troubled, but all in Jerusalem. Why was everybody in Jerusalem troubled? Because they know Herod. There's a phrase like, I've just heard it said different times, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? You ever said that or, or experienced that? Well, if Herod ain't happy, nobody's happy. Because the people of Jerusalem, they've seen what happens when Herod gets angry. They understand what happens that suffering typically follows when Herod is angry. He was troubled. That there would be innocent bloodshed and revenge for Herod's anger being stirred up. We get wicked math that goes like this. It goes power plus anger plus insecurity plus the influence of the kingdom of darkness will always equal great suffering. His toxic leadership had, had, had kind of like filtered down into every home and to every corner of Jerusalem and the region that he served. That everybody understood that this, this, this culture they lived in was a culture of fear. This is the culture that Christ was born into. In Matthew 2 verse 3, the Bible says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. 
and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet we just read about earlier. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I try to put yourself in the place of those chief priests and those scribes. I imagine they're all walking on pins and needles. Herod calls them in. What are they talking about? What are these wise men? What's this word about a star and a ruler? And no doubt, with fear and trembling, they begin to speak of the prophecy that has been foretold about the Messiah. Which, by the way, as we walk through this text, listen to how many times it talks about either what the prophet said or it was fulfilled. Because I love that all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. It's all pointing to Him. And Matthew in particular, writing this Gospel, he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. Why? Because he's helping them understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah that they've been waiting for and longing for. And so no doubt with fear and trembling, they are sharing the prophecy from centuries before that the ruler would come. And no doubt Herod is just hearing key words. He's hearing ruler. He's hearing shepherding his people, Israel. He's hearing these words. And can't you just feel his leadership being under attack as they're sharing this? The paranoia, no doubt, is mounting and rising to a fever pitch. And all the while, this isn't in the story, and I just wonder, we just never read anything about it, but here are these chief priests and scribes who for their entire lives have been placing their hopes and trust in the Scriptures and the Messiah that they point to. And now the Messiah has come. He's five miles down the road and we never hear any word of these chief priests running after the Savior, the one that they have perhaps, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps become so familiar with that, you know, it's just, it's just maybe another day. God help us to let the Scriptures and worshiping and serving our King never be just another day. And so in verse 7, the Bible says, Then Herod summoned the wise men. So he gets this word. He brings these wise men. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. So they're coming in and he's not interested in anybody's name. He's not interested in any family members. He's not interested in any lineage or heritage. All he wants to know is a time. All he wants to know is a time because in his kind of master manipulative mind, he's already perhaps discerned that he, if he can just find out the time, then that's going to inform how he's going to go about making sure that what is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes doesn't threaten his kingdom. And so he wants the time and gets... The time and in verse eight, the Bible says he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I, too, may come and worship him. To which last night I read this with my family and one of my kiddos just out loud just said, yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. Like we can see it, right? We can see it and hear it in the word like he he doesn't want to worship 
Christ. He wants to execute Christ. He's in his manipulative way. He's figuring out how he can get to this king and this ruler. And so he's like, when you find him, come tell me. I want to go worship him too. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I I just kind of almost read past that sometimes. Let's not miss that. Let's just imagine the joy that they had. This long journey, they've long awaited, and here they are. They're about to knock on the door of the Savior of the world. They are exceedingly, exceedingly with great joy, rejoicing. And going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and I love this, they fell down and they worshipped him. Try to get, let's try to get the picture. These are men who are of much renown. They've got the reputation of being wise men. They're magi. They're men of means. They've got their entourages. They've got their soldiers, their servants. And, and here they come. And yet at, at the Messiah, at the side of the Messiah, you see what I would call these perhaps well-to-do, powerful men on their knees, on their knees before the Lord and worshiping Him. Now, here's my conviction. I believe God is way more concerned about the posture of our heart than the posture of our physical bodies. I believe what God wants most is our hearts, our devotion. But I will also say that there are those times, and I would even say should be those times, when our outward posture matches the posture of our heart, and that there are times when we find ourselves humbling ourselves before the Lord and simply acknowledging that He is worthy and that He is God and He is above all. And I would just encourage us and even challenge us that we would find those rhythms in our heart where we truly humble our whole selves before the Lord. I was challenged by a, by a mentor. He challenged us that we would spend time daily on our knees. And again, it wasn't some type of like gaining favor before God or earning brownie points with God or anything like that. It was simply to acknowledge that we are servants of the Most High God. That he, he challenged us with his daily routine, which was this. That he would roll out of bed. And when he would roll out of bed, he would fall on his knees. And he would roll out of bed and go straight to his knees. And it was just simply a time at the very start of his day to acknowledge that he was a servant of the Most High God. So I just encourage us as we worship. This is what Christmas is all about. It's worshiping the King. And so here they are and they've come. And they've come to worship the King. Verse 14 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped Him. And then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
These aren't just, these aren't just leftover gifts. <laughs> this is the good stuff. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful heart. And what we see, what were they? They were greatly rejoicing. This, these tangible gifts to the Lord, this was all purely 100% out of the overflow of their love and worship for the Lord. This was a, a, a response. It was to bring their best and they give their best to the Lord. And in verse 12, the Bible says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, that they departed to their own country by another way, which big, big signal that these truly are wise men. <laughs> you know, like listen to God and don't go back to Herod if you value your life. Like, go another way. And so they, they do go another way. But can you imagine what Herod is going to do when he finds out that these men have not obeyed what he told them to do? In verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod's anger was turned up as hot as it could possibly be. Somebody must pay. Who is this ruler that is challenging my authority and challenging my leadership? By this point, Herod is in his 70s. And he is going to hold on to his throne with tooth and nail. And so he's going to figure out a plan. Remember, what time? What time? He's going to get the time and he's going to do some math and he's just going to make a policy and put that policy in place. The Bible says... Not just in Bethlehem, but in all of that region. And that policy is that all children, male children to and under, would be executed. And I want you to think about the absolute horror of that time. I want you to place your shoes in, the, in those moms and those fathers and those grandparents. And those great grandparents when this... When this this evil decree just kind of set place all, all over the city. And yet in this, Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, points yet again to a prophecy that was about a previous generation where there were Hebrew parents who had their livelihood stolen from them and their children taken away into exile. And he quotes from Jeremiah 31, verse 17, Matthew 2 says, This was fulfilled, or then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, that a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
D.A. Carson says that Jeremiah 31.5 occurs in a setting of hope. That despite the tears, God says the exiles will return. And now Matthew, referring to Jeremiah 31.15, likewise says that despite the tears of the Bethlehem mothers, there is hope because the Messiah has escaped Herod and will ultimately reign. That the heir to David's throne has come. The exile is over. The true Son of God has arrived. And He will introduce the new covenant promised by Jeremiah. Again, Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy has all been fulfilled in the Messiah, the Christ who has come. In verse 19, but when Herod died, the Bible says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets, there it is again. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That he would be called a Nazarene. Seeing Christmas through the eyes of Herod and even reading in, together about this evil ruler, that this time and this place and this culture that Christ was born, there are points of application that we can take even for our lives in the 21st century from this text. And I believe one of those applications is the reality that we live in a broken culture. I mean, honestly, we don't have to go far to be reminded whether it's even our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, or we scroll through our media feed or we turn on the news and we just see all of the brokenness everywhere around us. It's a reminder of the spiritual war that we are living in. We're, we're living in a spiritual war. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God. And this war is real. And we see evidences of it all around us. And as Paul would remind us in Ephesians, that it is good for us to be reminded that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We live in the midst of a spiritual war, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And what I cannot do is sit up here and just like say, hey, like, yeah, like everything's fine. Just close your eyes, plug your ears, stick your head in the sand and like, you know, you just kind of like everything's better then. But that's that's not real life. Why? Because we live in a broken place. And you can trace every area of brokenness all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You can chase every area of brokenness in our own lives when there is a departure from God's design and God's will. Because when you depart from God's design and God's will, you go your own way. Think, say, do things that hurt the heart of God. And when that happens, there is brokenness every single time. Every single time. 
But here is the encouragement in the brokenness is don't don't grow weary in doing good. (laughs) Because Jesus told us and he told his disciples as he's leading into what would be one of his final prayers with his disciples before his arrest and betrayal, he said this in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That even when there are those times where it seems like wickedness is winning, the reality is, is they are not winning. And God's kingdom is on the move. And while we wait, God is always working And that there will be a day where there is a new heaven and a new earth and all things are made new. But in this time, in this time, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, be a light. And all of us know if you get in the darkest place, the light shines the brightest in the darkest And he told his people, those who would listen, the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there is this great reminder of take heart, take courage. Greater is he who is in us than in he who is in the world. God is working and he is working working in such a way that ultimately will culminate in we're celebrating His first advent, His first arrival, and we're headed toward the second advent and His second coming and His second arrival, and He will make all things new. Be encouraged. I've met with somebody earlier this week, and without going into the the story To put it simply, they have been suffering for a long time. And the question comes, is that I just don't understand why I have to suffer. But in the same breath, that person said, but I trust the Lord and I know that He's going to make all things new. And that's where I find my joy. God is going to make all things new. Be a light. Don't grow weary in doing good. Take heart. He has overcome the world. The light shines brightest in the darkest. And then there is another application that we see here. And that is when we look at the Christmas story, like we relate to the shepherds, we relate to the wise men, we relate to everyone who is in the mix, who is celebrating this first Christmas But the reality is this, if you boil it down to its most simplest truth, at the end of the day, Herod refused to bow to another king. That's what it all boils down to. For Herod, Christ was a threat. Any threat to his kingdom, he wanted to eliminate. Why? Because Herod wanted to be the ruler and reigner, not just of his life, but of the whole land, and, and Jesus is a threat to that. And I think that challenges us as believers because if we're all completely honest, I'm not asking for a show of hands here on this one, okay? But how many of us would say, we're really good with trusting God with 99%. 
But there's this one area of our life that we just want to hold on to. And if we're honest, there's maybe been times where we're a little nervous to pray and trust God with that peace because we might be scared that His will would not line up with our will. What we are challenged with in this story is that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that every single area of our lives, every corner of our souls are laid bare before the Lord and that we could pray as Christ did, not my will, but your will be done. And here's the beauty of that, is that God's best, there's nothing better than God's best, and as we surrender everything to Him, we will experience God's best. And so, by God's grace, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, when He says, take up your cross and follow Me, what is that? That is a call to die to self. It's a call of surrender. And so what this looks like practically could be as we bring ourselves and we bring our families and we bring everything that God has entrusted to us Everything we have, everything we are, we bring it all before the Lord and we simply say, God, I am yours. You are Lord. Lead me, guide me, direct me. I wonder how many people right now are processing major life decisions, major decisions. And have we brought those decisions into the prayer closet where we lay it before the Lord? And it's not just what we desire, or what we think, but it is, God, what do you want? What is your will? What is your way? God, help us to bring all we are and all we have before you and to trust you to lead and be Lord. Because the saddest, one of the saddest parts of the story is that Herod missed out. He completely missed Christmas. He completely missed the Gospel. He completely missed that God loved the world even the Herods, that He would give His own Son to die on a cross to take the penalty that He and we all deserved. And He absorbed all of that for us. That's the Gospel. Christ in my place. That He absorbed the wrath of a mighty holy God against all of our sin. And He took all of that for us and they placed His dead body in a tomb. And on the third day, He rose from the dead proving that He only has the power to forgive our sin and to make us right with God. And my encouragement is that in this Christmas season, that we would not miss Christmas. That in this Christmas season, we would not miss the Gospel. That in this Christmas season, we would not miss Jesus. Because this season is just an incredible reminder of His love for us. So I want to pray for us, and as we do, I pray that we would find ourselves faithful to shine bright His light and His love in a very dark world where there is much evil and brokenness. But take heart, take heart, He has overcome the world. May we lay everything we have, everything we are before the Lord, and He is worthy of it all. He is the Lord. But I also just again encourage you, let's not get so fast through Christmas that we miss Christmas. And if you're here and you're living apart from a relationship with Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that you would repent of your sin and trust in Jesus alone. 
and he will forgive you and grant you peace and you experience his grace upon grace. God is so good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, thank you for the Christmas story. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you of this good news. That God, in the fullness of time, it was your perfect timing. In eternity past, the Trinity, there is a plan that had been set forth. And, and in the fullness of time, Christ was born. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Bethlehem reminds us of the gospel that you came to die. That you humbled yourself. Wrapped in cloths, laid in a feeding trough. Why? So that you could save and redeem a helpless and hopeless people for all eternity. So God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that in this broken world where the spiritual war is raging, may we be reminded that this is not about flesh and blood. But God, it is a much deeper war. And God, I pray that we would shine bright for you and point this desperate world to our only hope, and that is you. God, I pray that if there might be areas of our lives that we are hesitant to bring before you, an area of our life that we want to remain king over, God, that we are reminded through the power of Your Spirit, the love of Your conviction, God, that You would show us, God, Your design, Your way, Your will in every area of our life. And God, the beauty of it as a believer is that we don't go about it in our strength because we can't. We go about it through the strength and grace and power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that if there is anybody here who would say they don't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation, repentance and faith. God, we know that to trust and obey, that there's no other way to be at peace and happy and joyful in Christ, but to trust and obey. God, help us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand.